As always, this show is brought to you by Mass Monopoly. We're an adventure sports agency focused on fueling the brands that fuel us. Everyone here is an adventure athlete of some sort and is active in some or all the sports that we support. We help build adventure brands through authentic value-based marketing, not disruptive or interruptive, annoying-based stuff, growing your business without selling your soul. Go to MassMonopoly.com for a free consultation. We're also brought to you by 508 Adventure Sports. 508 is a family-run business who want to keep adventure sports affordable for families. They manufacture and sell handcrafted hard goods like skateboards, mudguards, and more. They also source affordable quality accessories for the sports they love, like mountain biking gloves, skateboarding pads, helmets, hiking equipment, and all kinds of stuff to keep you and your family out on adventures in all four seasons without breaking the bank. Check them out at 508.com, F-I-V-E, the letter O, the number 8.com. My guest today is Steve Moken, founder of Chasing Epic, a kick-ass adventure tour company out of Colorado that focuses on mountain biking, and they track towards the more intense side of the market, pushing up to like 20 miles a day on their rides. We had a lot of fun talking about Steve's business, riding bikes, our dogs, and even the future of e-bikes. Stupid me, I thought we were winding down and stopped the recording. Turns out we kept talking for like another 10 or 15 minutes about all kinds of interesting stuff in life. Uh, oh, well, I guess I'll just have to have him on the show again. Lesson learned. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Moken. And we are officially podcasting. So I, uh, I've been excited to talk to you because you have a cool job. Your job, for people who don't know yet, is that people plan epic mountain biking trips to some of the best spots in the country and then they pay you to come with them more or less yep we actually (laughs) so it's you know obviously there's a lot more to it than than that um but it's yeah i mean it's essentially that we uh we've got a handful of different locations that we do trips to across mostly the western u.s um and we get some really cool folks to come along and ride with us and um, you know, have some pretty epic vacations. For sure. And it, they actually look epic. I mean, the name, the name works. Well, when we post the episode, we'll post links to the website and Instagram and stuff so people can check out what you're doing. But I think um, it's, it's worth looking at because it's, it, and it's, I want to hear how you got into this because it seems like a job that a lot of people might want, right? I mean, the, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, based on the volume of emails I get every week asking me if if we're hiring, I think that's safe yeah. to say. So how did how did um, you, come you know it, to form the company, or what were you doing before that led you to create Chasing Epic? What tell me what leads to getting paid the mountain bike every day? Um, so short story is before I started Chasing Epic, I was actually in corporate America for fifteen years. Um, there's obviously a lot more to it behind the scenes. So mostly my entree into uh, chasing Epic and kind of the adventure travel world was through photography. Um, I've always done photography on the side, you know, maybe not always, but, you know, say for the last 10 years or so, um, I've done a handful of shoots for ski resorts and some local gear companies here in Colorado. Um, and really, as I was doing that, I was kind of getting a feel for what I wanted to do next. I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. I've always wanted to eventually go out and do my own thing. Um, so as I was doing photography jobs, you know, whether it's for resorts or beer companies or other travel companies, I was kind of just making mental notes on, you know, what worked, what didn't, what people liked, you know, kind of watching people's reaction as they, you know, as they were able to experience new things. Um, and eventually, yeah, it's about three years ago now, um, I finally decided to say, you know what, screw it. I've had enough of corporate America you know, this is what I want to do this, you know, there's a pretty big hole in the market from existing, um, you know, competitors, existing companies doing similar things. And I decided to kind of create our own niche in the, you know, the mountain bike adventure travel market. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of things that I did when we first started um, that have changed um, the way we run trips, kind of what we offer, etc. But you know, a lot of those ideas that I, I gathered from other companies, um, kind of taking the best of my experience, um, you know, it's still there. And, you know, we continue to fine tune everything that we're doing. But, you know, the foundation of Chasing Epic hasn't really changed over the last three years. So when you say you found, um, you mentioned a couple of times that you found a hole or parts that were missing. 
is it creating the mountain bike specific tours that was the whole or were just things among the experience, even with companies doing mountain bike specific tours that you found a way to improve upon the service? Um, definitely the latter. So there, you know, there's obviously companies doing what we do, um, you know, there, whether it's international, you know, guys like H&I, Sacred Rides, you know, local or I guess domestic mm -hmm. offerings like um, Western Spirit, Rim Tours, Hermosa Tours. You know, it's definitely not a, you know, kind of a, a one company thing. Um, so it's more of the way that we approach the rides, approach our experience and kind of what we offer the customers. Um, you know, I really, I wanted to target and I wanted to bring along um, customers that were really looking for an unauthentic and a challenging mountain bike experience. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of going back to what you mentioned earlier, some of our rides are pretty big. You know, we do that on purpose. It's, you know, we're, we like to push our riders as far as possible. And most of the time, we a large, large majority of the time, we find out that they're thankful and the experience is better because of it. You know, we've had sure. that I can count on, you know, probably dozens of people just this year that were kind of hesitant to, you know, when we offer a longer ride or, you know, an option to add an extra five miles at the end of a ride when they're already beat, you know, everybody's kind of hesitant. But then, you know, whether it's the group or our guides or myself, you know, someone always convinces them to, you know, hey, you're not going to be out here again, you know, maybe not ever. Um, so let's, you know, let's try it. If you're, you know, if you don't feel good or, you know, if something's wrong, then we can turn around. But, you know, we kind of always have that option and we always encourage people to push themselves. And I think, you know, that's one element of our trips that um, you really don't see anywhere else. I think, you know, there's obviously some big rides with some of the other big companies, but, you know, at the same time, um, kind of what we're doing in the locations that we're doing it in is, you know, kind of unmatched. Well, I mean, it's kind of fun to get in over your head. It makes things a little bit more <laughs> exciting, especially if you're getting in over your head with like a group of other people and everyone's in over their head. So you're not left alone. You're, you're just part of a pack that's going to go push the boundaries. That's, that's fun, right? Because then it gives you that, that unknown. I don't know if I can do this. Can I make it? Totally. Um, you know, you suffer together. You, you enjoy it more. Um, you get to know people a lot better. Um, you know, we actually just put something up on our blog about one of our customers, you know, totally unwarranted or totally unsolicited, but he sent us an email um, and said, hey, you know, I, if you want to post something, I, I put together a little story about how I learned so much about the people that were on my trip. And I never, you know, I didn't know them ahead of time. It's, you know, there's some interesting people. And, it, you know, when we're in the middle of a 2000 foot climb in the middle of nowhere, you tend to find out more about those people than you know, you probably thought you would. And then, you know, we never climb if the descent isn't worth it. So, you know, mm. we do a big climb, we take a little breather on the top, and then we get a five or six mile epic descent. So it's, yeah, you know, it's always worth the pain and suffering. Yeah, it's nice to earn the descent. It's a, yeah, and it's, it but it's not, it's not every rider that thinks that. I personally do. I, that's the kind of riding I like to do. Uh, but park days are fun too, when you can ride the lift up. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, we do build in the occasional shuttle. Um, you know, even on our shuttle days, we'll still climb 3,000 feet. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll shuttle, we'll climb 3,000 feet, but we'll end up with 6,000 feet of descending, you know, and something like nice. that is, you know, is pretty unusual. Yeah, I, I like climbing. So I'm one of those weird guys that people get mad at because I actually don't mind the uphill sections. I, I find it fun and, yeah. and challenging. Especially but when I'm, you're I'm a rare point. breed. Yeah, More I mean, people swearing at me than having yeah, when you're in places like Crested Butte and Moab and, you know, some of our other locations and you have the scenery that you do, it makes the, you know, the suffering up a climb or the, you know, kind of the monotony of spinning, you know, your, your pedals for, you know, an hour and a half. It makes it a little bit easier to deal with. Yeah. And I want to hear more about like how the days go and what it's like. But before we get into that. I, I joked early on about you having the the perfect easy job of people paying you to go riding, but uh, but realistically, more had to go into it than that. I mean, you have a fleet of demo bikes, you have a van that you can get the bikes to the people in all the different locations. There's certainly operations. You have a bunch of different people that lead rides in different areas, and they're local, so that the your customers get a good experience. Do you want to talk more about like what went into making sure that Chasing Epic provides the right experience? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny because when I first started the company, I, I think I was a little naive in, in how my days would be broken up. I thought, you know, the, the planning and logistics of running the trips would take up, you know, 
three quarters of my time. And I thought sales and marketing would take up, you know, a small portion. You know, I thought I could put, put Chasing Epic on Facebook and on, on Instagram, you know, put it out there on, on Google and search engines and people would just flock to do these, va- these trips and vacations. And mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> you know, again, I was very naive. I think, you know, first time business owner, that's, you know, that's something that you don't really think about. It's how are people going to find you? And so, you know, a large majority of my time um, is spent kind of doing the sales, the marketing, working on partnerships, you know, looking at, you know, potential partnerships, looking, you know, out a year, two years, three years as at kind of what we want to do. Um, but, you know, going back there to kind of your original question, there's definitely a foundation of everything that has to work together. So, you know, we do have bike partners. Um, this year, we work with Ibis and Spot. Um, so we have a demo fleet. I think this year we have 16 or 18 bikes. Um, they're all... How do you land on those partners? Um, you know, Ibis was with us from the very beginning. So they were one of, you know, I, I talk with Scott Nickel, their owner, um, fairly frequently. You know, he was one of the first people to kind of believe in what we were doing and, and partner with us. And so, um, you know, we've been with them for the last three years. Um, Spot is they make a, great bikes too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ev- we have the, the Ripley LS and the Mojo Three, which are both perfect for you know, regardless of where you're going to do a trip with us. Um, you know, I would ride either either of those bikes in any location and be perfectly happy. Um, Spot actually is a local company. Um, I've lived in the Boulder area for the last 14 years. We actually just recently moved to the mountains, but um, their Spot is based in Golden, Colorado. And so they're about 30 or 40 minutes from where I used to live. And um, just, you know, mutual friends kind of introduced myself and, and some of the folks at Spot. And they make some pretty kick-ass bikes, too. Um, so, you know, again, with the Mayhem and the Rollick, it's just a perfect fit for what our customers do. And so that's kind of how we, we ended up with both of those, those guys. And, you know, I like to give customers an option. Um, so that's why we do, you know, two different bike manufacturers this year. Um, so they do have options. And in I think it's probably pretty close to a 50-50 split between people asking for an IBIS and asking for a spot. So, cool. um, but you know, we have some other smaller partners. Uh, we work with stands, no tubes for a handful of our wheel sets. Um, I've got a, a personal history with those guys going back 25 years. Um, you know, just a lot of different companies that I've either kind of been introduced to through mutual friends or had connections through photography. It's just, you know, everything that we do and everyone we partner with is intended to make the customer experience better. Um, Whether it's, you know, getting a discount code to buy new gear before you come on a trip or, you know, having, you know, we partner with Elevated Legs, which does um, leg recovery systems. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, after big rides now, we've got, you know, a line of people waiting to have their legs squeezed by this little compression sleeve <laughs> system. Um, so it, you know, it's all these different things that just kind of add value and make the experience better. Yeah, it's cool. I've, and I've never ridden a spot. I've, I don't think I've ever even seen one in real life, but the Mayhem looks awesome. I've heard good things about that bike. Yeah. both. I mean, both the Mayhem and the Rollick, I ride both of them pretty regularly and, and they're both awesome. Do you, uh, do you have your own bike or do you just, do you keep uh, rotating through the demo fleets? You're always on new bikes. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, so I just ordered my first personal bike in a while. I'm just getting a single speed uh, 29er just to kind of ride and get in better shape. Um, but regularly, I just ride whatever is available for the demo demo fleet. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, on most trips, whatever's left over in a large, I'll just ride that for four days. And, you know, if a, one of the other customers wants to try out what I'm riding, I'm more than happy to swap out. So it's, you know, you're not necessarily just stuck with a single bike for the four days. Um, well, you're not missing out either. I mean, those are those are high end bikes. Those are you're, no matter what you're swinging your leg over, it's going to be a good bike. Yeah, absolutely. So it, you know, and I think the the biggest preference that I see with people um, reserving bikes is just wheel size. So some people are dead set on 29ers, and some people are dead set on 27.5. So it, you know, I think that's the one thing that people are are more stuck on than you know who makes the bike they're riding. Where are you landing on that? Is it a fifty fifty? Are people more on the two niners now? Where where are you it, seeing? It. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably right down the middle, 50, 50. Um, it's, you know, and it, and there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any skew depending on where we do a trip. So in Crested Butte, we'll see as many people riding the Rollick and the Mojo three as they're riding the Ripley and the, the mayhem. Um, 
you know, I personally ride it. I probably ride a 29 or a little bit more, or at least I have this year, but I'm actually kind of trending back to riding the 27.5 bikes a little bit more now, just because I find them a little more playful and, and fun oh, versus yeah. the kind of the efficiency of the 29ers. Interesting. Interesting. So it's funny oh, yeah. that you go, that you go, I don't want to say go back. That's not the right term, but the, the, that you'd be moving back towards the 27.5. I don't have a strong preference either. I've ridden both. I ride at uh, 29 now, but, um, that look, they're, they're both going to take you where you need to go. They're not, I don't, I don't find that there's a huge difference. I personally like the, the 29 a little bit, but, um, yep. I can ride both and be happy for a whole day. Yeah. I'm pretty much down the middle. Also, I think it just depends on the kind of riding I want to go out and do. You know, if I'm going to go out and do a 40 mile ride and climb 5,000 feet, then I'll probably take out the Ripley or the Mayhem. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I want to go out and do a shorter loop and have fun and do some flow trails and, you know, mess around, then I'll take out a 27.5. You certainly live in the right place for it too, right? I mean, the, I want to know before we get into the days and what the trips are like, which I really want to know, I want to know like when you, now that you've got this business, you clearly were a mountain biker before you started the business. So it led you here. So you've got this business, you take people all over the best places right there in Colorado and Utah. So when you have downtime and you want to go for a ride, where do you want to go? Um, do you want to explore well, new so things? I, or do you still, is there still plenty to see where you are? And that's kind of Mecca for you. Well, so my wife and I actually just moved a month ago. We, we now live in Eagle, which is about 30 minutes west of Vail. Um, so I've got some pretty killer trails out my front door. Um, like this morning, I went out for a 25-mile ride and I rolled out my garage and didn't have to drive. Nice. Um, so it kind of depends. I mean, I, when I am riding and when I have downtime, I like to stay local and be at home just because I do most of our trips. So I'm traveling a decent amount of spring, summer, and fall. Sure. Um, so when I'm not running a trip, I'd rather just, you know, stay at home, hang out with my wife, you know, play with the dogs and go for a three hour ride. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, right here from town in Eagle, I mean, we've got probably over a hundred miles of single track and another two or 300 of forest service and dirt roads. Yeah. That's so, awesome. you know, being here for five or six weeks so far, you know, I haven't even scratched the surface of what's available. It's um, not quite that you know, easy here in Massachusetts. I have to, for, yeah, the most right. part, I'm, for the most part, I'm traveling to get to that level of trails. We have a lot of, we have a lot of woods and forest and, and good single track around here. Cause there's a lot of effort that goes into trail development and stuff, but to yep. ride anything that would even sound similar to what you're talking about, you're talking about the kingdom trails in Northern Vermont yeah. and, and places that still, for me, that's three and a half hours away. Yeah. It, you know, I think this time of year, my personal preference is definitely to stay up in the high country in Colorado and Utah. Um, there's just something magical about like getting above tree line and, you know, getting huge expansive views with just a tiny little ribbon of single track. It's, you know, I think that's why Crested Butte and, and some of the mountain locations are my favorite because it like, there's just nothing that compares. So, uh, finally getting to it, I guess, what, what is a trip like for those, those who don't know? I mean, obviously I've checked out your website, but I tried to stay, uh, blissfully ignorant so I could have a more interesting conversation uh -huh. and learn from you. So like, what, what's it like someone, I'm going to book a trip. Cause we actually, I do a trip with some, some of my buddies every year. And so like, we're going to come on, let's say we're going to come on the trip next year. What, what do we expect? What's it going to be? Um, so our goal at chasing Epic is to run a trip basically like myself and my friends used to do. So we want to ride as much as possible. We want to have a few beers, eat dinner or breakfast go to sleep and do it all over again. So basically that's what we do at Chasing Epic. So um, all of our trips are four days. So you can expect, you know, about a three hour ride on the first and last day. And then the mm -hmm. two middle days are big. So we'll be out on the bike all day long, typically, you know, call it 25 miles, 4,000 feet of climbing, um, you know, depending on where we are, you know, we'll be out where there's no cell phone reception. We, you know, we only get walkie talkies. Um, you know, we'll be out there. So it's, you know, the first day you show up, we have everybody kind of get fit on their bikes, do introductions, do a, you know, call it an, a quote easier ride, but typically it's still 15 miles. Um, you know, a little more mellow considering what we'll get into the next few days, but, um, still a pretty solid ride that afternoon. Um, yeah, for sure. We do dinner as a group every night. So whether it's, you know, going out to eat, you know, 
going over to one of the guides' houses, doing a catered dinner. Um, we kind of mix it up um, every trip. So we'll do dinner as a group. Um, you know, we always have post-ride beers for everybody, or at least we do our best to have post-ride beers for everybody after every ride. Um, second and third day, you know, we, that we, is important. we yeah, of course it make, makes the experience better. Um, sure. but we, uh, second and third days, like I mentioned, they're big rides. So, you know, whether it's a shuttle, you know, sometimes we can leave right from our accommodation. Sometimes it's, you know, 10 or 15 minute ride out to the trailhead. Um, we do our best to put together big rides that no one would really do by themselves or do, you know, with a group of friends if they didn't know the area. So things that are mm -hmm. unique, like, you know, in Crested Butte, we'll do something, um, two of the big rides are Reno Flag Bear Dead Man and then Dr. Park. And one of our big rides is to combine the two with a shuttle and basically put together like a 24 mile huge epic. Um, so, you know, after those two days, most people are in bed on the third night by about eight o'clock because most people are, <laughs> sure. you're not used to riding three days in a row of, you know, big rides. Um, so, you know, kind of depending on how the group's feeling or, you know, different people, the last day we try to get in, you know, a good three to four hour ride. We're usually done after lunch. Um, so people can mm -hmm. either drive home or fly home. Um, but it's, you know, it's four days. I would say on average, we're doing 75 to 80 miles, you know, maybe 10,000 feet of climbing over the four days, um, depending on location. Um, so people are pretty well beat by the end of a four day trip. I bet. I bet they're exhausted, but there's, I can only imagine the views. Do you come across a lot of wildlife? <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, you know, and Crested, Be Crested Butte is probably, you know, the most recent example. We see herds of elk up in the mountains all the time. Um, I've lived in Colorado for 15 years and up until last fall, I had never seen a mountain lion. Mm. But uh, if you look, so if you look up the single track samplers video from last fall in Crested Butte, we actually came across a freshly killed deer with the mountain lion 200 feet above us on the Yikes. trail. Yeah, that's one yeah. of those things you don't want to see. No, it was, uh, luckily we were a big group. We had, I think we had eight guys, seven or eight guys riding together. Um, so it wasn't really, you know, we weren't in any kind of danger, but it was definitely a little scary to see, you know, a pissed off mountain lion 300 feet above us waiting for us to leave. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I bet you run into bears a lot more often, but the mountain lion's kind of the one you don't want to run in, especially if you're riding in a small yeah. group or alone. That's just, I mean, the cat will just jack you. That's something you gotta worry about that guy. Just don't be the slowest guy. Absolutely. Don't be the slowest guy and don't look like the easy one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've, you know what? Personally, I've seen way more bears on rides. Um, I don't think we've ever seen a bear on any of our chasing epic rides, but we've seen a mountain lion and, you know, a, a bunch of other wildlife. It's cool to see all the wildlife. There's just a few you want to avoid, right? Like bears and mountain lions. But if you're not coming across a lot of bears, yeah. that's pretty cool. Colorado has a, a fairly big population, right? They do. Yeah. And I've seen them, you know, I've seen them locally here. I saw, you know, quite a few outside of Boulder and I've seen them around Aspen. Um, but yeah, for some reason we haven't seen any, maybe it's cause we're just loud with all of our hubs and scaring guys away. Yeah. might as well be. I mean, make the noise with the bear go away. They're, they're black bears out there mostly, right? It's not, you guys don't have yeah, big, yeah. big brown ones or anything. Pretty harmless unless you find one with a couple cubs. Yeah. And then just go the other way, get out of the, get, yeah. leave mom alone, figure out another way around. Exactly. Do you, um, yep. where are your customers coming from? Are they, I mean, I assume they come from everywhere, but are most local? Are you getting a lot of people that are coming yeah. in for the trips? Yeah, total opposite. So very few of them are coming from Colorado or even really the Rocky Mountain region. Um, most of them are coming from, I would say it's pretty evenly distributed between kind of West Coast, Southeast, Northeast, Midwest. Um, we get a decent chunk from both California and Texas. We're starting to get more international bookings. So this year, I would say we probably, you know, of the 150 to 200 clients a year, this year, I would say maybe 5 to 10% are international. Oh, uh, mostly cool. from the U Yeah, mostly from the UK and Canada. Um, we've had a couple. One guy came from Jordan for our last trip. Wow. And we've had one from Bogota, Colombia. So kind of the outer reaches of uh, the Chasing Epic sphere but uh it's pretty cool to see those guys come all the way out here that's really cool that's really cool that they would a want to come all the way to america to go riding and b that they found you and uh isolated that you give them the right time that's i mean good on you for both yeah. that's really cool yeah absolutely and it's always you know it's so cool to see people coming from 
you know, obviously out of state because, you know, people in the Southeast, for instance, aren't going to see anything in their lives like Moab. Um, but, you know, coming from an entirely different continent, you know, the, just the landscape, you know, usually just blows their mind. Sure. You know, the landscape would blow your mind even if you live there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and you guys stay at uh, hotels or condos, that, that sort of amenity, right? Yeah, we try to book condos when account kind of condos, townhomes, or, you know, smaller personal homes, um, whenever possible, just because it, you know, the social scene, um, in a condo is just way better than a hotel. You know, typically when we first started, we saw, we, we tended to do more hotels. Um, I think just because it was easier, but we saw that, you know, after dinner's over, people are going to go back to their room, grab their phone and kind of fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when there's condos or a townhome and we have a kind of a central hangout spot, then people will grab a beer after dinner, you know, learn more, hang out with the people that, you know, the other people that are on the trips, it's it's just a better experience overall. And it's, you know, it's kind of how we used to do things as, you know, a group of friends going on a vacation. So that's how we do it. Um, you know, if at all possible, we'll do like three or four bedroom condos where you can get a big group of people together and actually get a good night's sleep in a bed. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that kind of separates us from some of the other companies out there is there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's a handful of camping options out there. And I'm personally not a camper. So I don't ask, (laughs) I don't ask others to camp if I wouldn't, you know, I, if I'm going to do a big ride, I want to go back and and sleep in a bed and take a hot shower, Mm. you know, not necessarily in that order, preferably the other order, (laughs) but, uh, um, but, it, you know, it's just kind of those little amenities that I look forward to. Um, and it's, you know, I get the camping thing, but it's just not how we roll. I didn't know they had done campers in Colorado. Yeah. I don't know if it was growing up in New York that did it to me or... Uh, You're the one. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I've kind of I've kind of convinced and persuaded some friends to to not camp anymore when we go ride too, but we always have some holdouts. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing I was wondering when I was looking um, at your trips, I was curious if you ever did, you know, like a city slickers trip trip where you take the people out and you're going to go for four days, but you're going to camp the whole time. So you're out in the mountains and wilderness and exploring new places. If that, if that was uh, how you roll, but it's, it's not. Definitely not. Nope. I like uh, life's little luxuries. I was going to wonder who was Curly, the big cowboy with the guns on that trip, if you were going out like that. <laughs> yeah. Nope. It's definitely not us. It's, uh, I think I've backpacked twice in my life. One was doing the Grand Canyon for a photo trip. And the other one was actually doing a uh, kind of a migration type trip with Ibis and uh, Rim Tours out, outside of Moab. And the photography, that's something that you did as a profession. And now you guys do that on a lot of your, on a lot of your outings, right? So you'll take pictures or you or what any other guides, they, some of them are photography folks as well, right? And you'll take pictures during the whole trip. So people don't have to worry about getting their own pictures. Yep. Yeah. So most, you know, I, I run, you know, say 80 to 90% of the trips myself. Um, So when I'm running a trip, I always have my camera with me. So you know, I try not to make it too intrusive. Um, you know, I don't want to hold up the ride. I, I know what a proper photo shoot looks like, and I don't want to make our rides that. No. Um, so it's, you know, it's more, you know, if we stop for a cool view or stop to eat lunch, you know, I'll go ahead two minutes and, and kind of set up for pictures and, you know, and get people as they ride by and then just hop on the back. So it's really a seamless experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always got my camera with me and, you know, we kind of include that as, as part of the trip, you know, the end of the trip, I send out an email with a link to my website and, you know, everybody can do whatever they want with the pictures. I think that's cool because for me, I have, you know, a hundred GoPros and all kinds of stuff and we'll go on, uh, I, like for instance, I was just on my trip, a uh, bunch of guys, we go on some kind of adventure trip every year and do something new. So we were on our trip and we had GoPros strapped to everybody the whole time. But, you know, there's probably 10 pictures from cell phones to what everyone's going to look at and remember because the GoPro footage, while awesome, is all sitting, you know, on the Google Cloud (laughs) somewhere. And, you know, maybe we'll go back and watch it next year or three years from now. And right when I got home, I showed some to my kids because they were curious about the adventure. But um, it's nice to just have five or six. And this is coming from a guy, a media guy, that I have way too many cameras and footage and everything. But it's nice to have like five good pictures. 
instead of five gigs yeah. of, of video yeah. and pictures to then go sift through and, you know, you never get to it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, a majority of that is because I'm just not a video guy. I've just never gotten into it. I, I have no interest in editing video or taking video. You know, I've always been on the photography side. So it's, you know, it's kind of and it's cool for me too, because I, you know, I take, you know, say on average, probably 250 pictures over the course of a trip. And when I get home, I kind of decompress and chill out for a couple of days. And, you know, eventually I'll just sit down with a beer and edit pictures and kind of mm -hmm. go through. And, you know, we always get some really cool pictures. And, you know, it's just a it's a cool bonus for people. Like you said, it's cool to look back and say, you know, here's the five or six of me in Crested Butte or in Moab or Park City. Um, you know, and obviously we use it for social media and our website and all that. So it's kind of a, a built in marketing thing. But it's just a, it's a really cool thing. You know, I've seen pictures, I've had customers send me, you know, cell phone pictures of a giant print in their office or at their home, you know, so it's, it's pretty cool to know that, you know, they kind of value that as much as I do. Yeah, it is cool. Do you got, is there a season? Like, is there a time of year you're not running any trips or do you get into like yeah. fat biking and going under the snow and? No. So from basically from like early November through God mid spring or so, um, we don't have trips. So, you know, majority of our trips are run from late March through the end of October. You know, last year we did a trip the weekend before Thanksgiving, um, which was pretty late, but like this year, our last trip is the end of October. So we've wow. got a good four and a half months, um, where we're not running trips. So do you use that time for a lot of planning for the years to come and, and making Yeah. 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 And what I mean, the, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, it's, you know, especially in the off season, it's just thinking of, you know, ways to sell and market, ways to promote, ways to, you know, looking at different partnerships and if they make sense. Um, and obviously, you know, planning all of the trips for the upcoming season. What's so what's going to be uh, like next when you're when you're in the off seasons and you're planning, are you thinking about different types of trips or different or new locations to add or you know what's going on for um for a change or thinking about what might be next yeah so for this so for instance this off season and actually i've already started the process um, we're adding two new locations for next year so nice um you know it's a process of obviously making sure it warrants us going for four days at a time but also you know there's a lot more that goes into it you know with the trails being able to put together a network of you know, of rides, obviously the guides working with, you know, the accommodations and meals and restaurants and all that stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into putting together like marketing and promotional um, materials for these trips and making sure that, you know, if we're going to go to the effort of adding different locations that, you know, we're actually going to sell multiple trips. Um, mm. So, you know, a lot of that stuff in the off season, you know, going to meet personally with the guides to make sure they're, you know, kind of up to snuff and, you know, fun, good riders and obviously different, you know, medically certified and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot of that type of planning. Um, you know, most of the changes now that we do kind of season to season are just little tweaks. Um, like this year, we started adding lunches into all of our trips. So, you know, not a whole lot of planning, obviously, in the off season, but just making sure we've got um, options for, you know, different dietary restrictions and you know, being able to kind of build that into the trip. So everybody's got more fuel during the ride. Mm. How, how do you find the guides? I mean, that's, it's gotta be a little bit difficult. There's, there's an endless supply of mountain bikers who would love to do the job, I imagine, but you've got to, you mentioned a little bit, but you've got to make sure not only can they physically do these rides, which are going to be pretty demanding and, you know, and you're going to have to be the upbeat one who's never, the most exhausted, yeah. but also you need, you need the personality, right. To take 10, totally. 12 people and make them have fun for four days. It can't, it's, you know, you can't be a drill sergeant. You, you've got to be, you've got to be a buddy, but you've got to lead too. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny you say that because there's, there's a lot of different personalities that work as a guide. Um, just kind of going through the roster of some of the people that we work with and, you know, some of the guys that lead rides for us, you know, we've got some pretty relaxed chilled out guys and we've got some that are just super high energy but i think it you know just kind of they do a really good job of molding or not really molding but adapting to the group and kind of sensing the dynamic you know getting a sense for how hard guys want to ride how obviously how good of riders they are 
Um, but you know, at this point, it's mostly just referrals from our existing guides or people I know in the different locations. Um, you know, for instance, we're going to start doing trips in Brevard, North Carolina next year. Um, and the guides that we're using in Brevard are, you know, good friends of mine at this point where, you know, we, we met at a, an IBIS function, uh, like three years ago and we've just stayed in touch and, you know, starting next year, they're going to run trips for us. Um, you know, in Sun Valley, we're doing, we're going to start doing trips in 2019 and, you know, it's more of a recommendation or a referral from, you know, existing friends and people that are in the business that said, Hey, you know, reach out to, to Ulan up at, you know, Sturt events in Sun Valley. He's awesome. You know, so I went up there a couple of weeks ago and rode with him for four days and they were right. He's awesome. <laughs> so is that, the, is that the interview? you got to do like a hundred miles over three yeah. or four days and <laughs> no, see how it goes. You know, it's, that's part of it for sure. Obviously I want them, you know, them and, you know, maybe one of their, or two of the, the guides that we're riding with to kind of go out and see how they interact and, you know, obviously make sure they know the, the trails and know how to ride and, you know, all that good stuff. But, you know, I think it's, you know, when I first started, I had a big list of destinations in mind and I had to cancel half of them because I just couldn't find responsible, respectful guides. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, you know, being able to find people that I like working with is big because, you know, I've got paying customers that are going to come on these rides and I want them to have fun with these guides too. So, um, you know, if they're not someone that I like riding with, then chances are they're not going to be somebody that, you know, a group of 12 people is going to like riding with. Do you think it's getting easy, easier or will be getting easier to find the guides and, and, and to, to grow the business because the sport itself is growing? Like are you seeing um, that because it, it it is the sport is growing oh yeah. by accident. Mountain yeah, like I mean, itself, right? Again. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, there's so many resources out there. I mean, obviously, everybody knows about MTB Project and Trail Forks, and you know, there's plenty of people that want to you know go on an adventure by themselves and and all of that. Um, you know, I think it's in our situation, it's a little bit different with expansion because, like, I think the first criteria for me is is it somewhere that I would personally want to spend four days riding? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think the second criteria is, is it something that we can support from, you know, our company's perspective? So knowing that we have to get our demo fleet there, you know, it's, I've got the bike sitting in my basement. So it's, <laughs> so typically right. it's me driving to the location. So, it, you know, we tend to stay in the Western U S obviously we're doing Brevard next year, but um you know, I think there's a few more things behind the scenes that kind of necessitate being met before we look at, you know, just being able to go somewhere. Um, you know, and I think one of the big things with Chasing Epic is that I don't want to expand into a, a huge company where we've got 500 to 1,000 customers every year. It's it's more, you know, being a, having an intimate experience, um, you know, keeping it small so it's consistent. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's pretty unusual that we're adding two locations for next year. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, we're also dropping two locations. So next year, we're not going to be doing Park City or Sedona. So we, you know, huh, we're adding two, but we're still keeping the overall number to seven. But you are in, you're introducing logistics challenges, right? Because you can't drive your van to North Carolina very efficiently. Correct. Yeah. So we so obviously will have a... A different demo fleet in North Carolina that we'll use just for those trips. Sure, not insurmountable, but it is a new logistical challenge that yep. you have to manage over the course of the year and all the different trips. So it, it does it it increase. It's cool, and it's going to increase. Uh, you'll probably get to go on a few of those, I would imagine, and you know, ride in completely different terrain than you're used to. But at the same time, there is there is some some business that comes along with the fun. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think that's you know. I I think if, you know, if you were to go on a trip, you'd definitely see that, you know, I'm, I'm busting my ass, especially the first day to make sure everything, you know, works. There's always little things that come up, you know, for instance, lat <laughs> the last trip in Crested Butte a few weeks ago, we had a guy get a flat tire on one of our demo bikes, just riding around the parking lot. So it's like <laughs> trying to fix a flat while I'm trying to get everybody else set up with their bikes. And, you know, there's yeah. always, th always things that pop up, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's all about planning ahead. So it, you know, kind of been pain in the ass, but a parking lot's a great place to get the flat. True. Yeah. It could have, it, it could have been way worse. So I'll take what, and that was the only flat of the entire trip. So that was even better. That is, that's fantastic. Yeah. That kudos out to your, uh, your partner, right? You have a partner for tubeless tires. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, he ran over a piece of glass, so I can't blame that one. <laughs> no. What about, um, for, for rider levels? 
it, do you interview folks or is it hard to make sure that you're going to, like if you're getting 12 people on a trip and they don't know each other, is it, is it hard to make sure they're all going to have fun? You know, they're all, they're all similar riding levels. Cause yeah. you know, if somebody, I would hate to be on a trip and I'm sure it's not this way. I'm just curious how you deal with it. That, that, you know, 50% of the trip or 40, whatever part is, is good for the 25 mile day. And, the rest of them are really struggling after, you know, five or six or 10. And yep. how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, I think that's the, actually the biggest question I get from people that are looking to book trips is how, how do we deal with that? Exactly. So, you know, I think the biggest, the biggest way is that for every six riders, we have one guide. So if we have a seventh, oh, rider, that helps. yeah. So if we have a seventh rider, we have two guides. Um, so, you know, for instance, most of our trips are 10 to 12 people. So we'll have two guides uh, plus myself, um, and I'm medically certified, and I've, obviously I've ridden all these trails dozens of times. Um, so you know, if needed, we we essentially have three guides, or you know, two guides and a tail guide for a group of twelve people. Um, so one of the big things that we do is when you book a trip with us, you get a rider questionnaire that's asked that asks you, you know, where have you ridden? What's your favorite trails? You know, how would you rate yourself in terms of you know technical skills? You know, physical activity. Um, so we try to get as, as good of a, I guess, a background, um, on each rider. And then, mm -hmm. you know, based on those questions or I guess those answers, um, we put everybody into two groups on the first day. And then from there, if we need to move people around, you know, if there's a guy that's just killing it in the, you know, the quote slow group, then, you know, the second day we can move them around. Um, I'd say we're pretty accurate, you know, typically, 80 to 90% spot on with, you know, how we group people. Um, sometimes people just don't feel good on a certain day and they want to ride with this mm -hmm. group or sometimes they're feeling awesome. So they jump ahead and go ride with fast guys. Um, but, you know, I think overall, I think just the way that we market and kind of brand chasing Epic, you know, I like to think that it's pretty clear that if you book a trip with us, you better be in shape to do 25 miles a day or else you're not going to have as good of a time. Um, yeah, no, I think that does come across too, but uh, you know, people always have different ideas about what they're capable of. So they'll yeah. think, well, you know, I'll, I'll be able to rally cause I'm going to be on a trip and that's not always no, going to happen. You know, we but, find, I see more people get much better, um, in terms of technical skills over the course of a trip than people obviously, you know, getting, you know, better lungs and legs over the course of a trip. So, you know, for instance, in Moab, we do a, you know, we make a concerted effort to, to make sure the first day is pretty mellow and then kind of, you know, build up as the trip goes on. And, you know, we'll always do a ride on the whole enchilada. Um, and just seeing guys be, you know, riding things on day three and day four that they probably wouldn't even have attempted on the first day is really cool. You know, it, whether that it's, is cool. you know, whether it's following, you know, one of the guides into a feature and, you know, just kind of trusting the lines or, you know, doing it totally themselves or, you know, stopping the session, a little section, um, you know, things like that are really cool to see. And I think, you know, you kind of get the same thing up in the mountains where people don't know that they can ride farther than they can. Um, so it's, you know, hey, my home loop is 15 miles and a thousand feet. You know, what am I going to do in Crested Butte? You know, I think you'd be mm -hmm. pretty surprised when you've got 10 other people, you know, on, on that trip that are all pushing you and you want to keep up and, you know, you kind of, you don't want to be that last guy or that guy. Um, so people are willing to push themselves a little bit more. Sure. Sure. Why not? It's, I mean, that's why you're there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, on the, the opposite end of that spectrum, you know, unfortunately there are people that I think do come in that are over their heads. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that they're still having a good time. You know, it's, they don't deserve anything differently. So we always make an effort to, you know, whether it's sending, you know, one guide with a couple of people for a few days, or if it's, you know, just kind of hanging back and taking it easy on a big climb, then, you know, we do what we have to do. Yeah, I think that two guides is all the difference in the world. I didn't, I didn't know you had the two guides per trip. So I mean, that that yep. that it makes sense. of course. If there's two guides, you can break it up into two different levels. And if if people are booking uh, an epic mountain biking trip, you know, it's probably not their first day on a bike, and there's going to be a variation. But that variation can be handled by the fifty percent rule. It's not going to be. It's not. You don't need four groups out of twelve. Yeah, people, right. Yeah, totally. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I think the 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 two guides for twelve people, um, it's kind of, it's one of the things that I kind of had my heart set on when I first started the company, and you know, it works really well. Um, you know, there's actually certain places we do trips where you can't have groups bigger than six riding together. 
And so it just, it works out perfectly for that anyway. Yeah. And so you have your scheduled trips and then you do private trips as well, right? We do. Yeah. So we kind of have two different flavors of private trips. So the kind of the main private trip that you can see on the website is essentially any group of six or more can say, Hey, chasing Epic, I want to go to this location, these dates, you know, put it together for us. Mm -hmm. So obviously, as long as it's one of our seven locations, um, you know, you can book that trip whenever you want. You know, we obviously, we kind of um, cater that trip towards personal preferences of the group. You know, if you want to stay in somewhere specific or, you know, if you want certain beer after the ride, um, you know, obviously the ride style and the ride, you know, length and all of that stuff is catered to exactly what they want. Um, most groups are, you know, they kind of put it in our hands and they just kind of come along for the ride. Um, no pun intended. Um <laughs> And then the other kind of private trips that we do are actually more like partner trips. So we partner with some of the YouTube mountain bikers and some bike companies where we'll run trips for their fans or for their customers. Um, so, you know, for instance, we ran one of the Ibis migrations a couple of years ago. We did a trip with BMC last year. Um, we do two trips every year with BKXC and the single track sampler. Um, so those are, you know, that you don't see those on our website, but they make up probably about a third of our business throughout the year. And are those in the similar locations to where you run your normal trips or do you go, yeah. or are you open to going to new places uh, with the private trips, depending of course on travel and, and distance and all that, but are you open to new places or is it, you know, we know these trails, we know the place, we know we can provide a good experience. So it's, it's more locked in. Yeah. They have to be at our locations um, just because we don't, you know, I think the biggest hurdle is just guides um, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. It's, you know, if we're going to a new location, it takes a while to kind of snuff out, you know, who's a legitimate guide and if there are even guide services available. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, that's the biggest hurdle. But yeah, with those trips, we'll we'll always do them in one of our locations. Um, so this like this last spring, we did the trip with BKXC and Fruta. And then we did Moab with the single track sampler. And then this fall, we're actually doing both of their trips in Crested Butte, but they're about a month and a half apart. Nice. So we'll always, we always mix it up with those guys. So it's somewhere different, you know, ideally somewhere different every spring and fall. Do you, do you um, give people or, or rent people gear along with the bikes or should people bring their own safety stuff for downhills and that sort of thing? Like if they wanted yeah, they, uh, knee pads and elbows and all the gear. Yeah, they bring their own. Uh, we don't have anything else for them. Um, you know, we provide, you know, some discounts and gift cards and things like that when they book trips with us. Um, and so we see a lot of people use that to buy pads for Moab or, you know, new bike shoes or some new jerseys, things like that. But um, that's on that's on our customers. Sure. Uh, I was just curious. I was looking at the site as we're talking. I saw somebody with some funky knee pads. What, um, yeah, it's uh, Moab and Fruta are about the only, well, I guess Moab, Fruta, and St. George are where you see guys wear knee pads. Um, and it's probably 50 50, you know, pr actually probably a little less, um, with people actually wearing them. Yeah, yeah, I don't see much of it out here unless you're on a, you're in a park. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would definitely re recommend them to anyone that's considering booking a trip in Brevard next year because Pisgah can get really rowdy. Nice. Yeah. What um so you live in Colorado and you ride bikes for a huge portion of the year. Do you is there anything else you like to do? You a snowboarder, skier, you're in you're in kind of a prime place for being outside. Yeah, I ski a lot. Um I used to ski way more than I do now, but now that I actually live in the mountains, you know, I'll ski a bunch in the winter. Um I've I've actually done a lot of ski photography in the past. Um so you know, I've kind of combining those two. I obviously love doing photography. Um my wife and I travel a decent amount. Now, this year I've been to Spain, Iceland, and the Faroe Islands. Um, so, it, you know, we're always looking for kind of the next cool destination that's, you know, kind of off the beaten path. Yeah, that's fun. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, between all that stuff, we're in the process of building a house. So, we're staying pretty busy. Yeah, that's a busy time. <laughs> yeah. Hope you're having fun with it. It's not always fun. It's definitely busy. Yep, it is. But yeah, so it's, you know, like a, you're building a new house in the mountains. Yeah, we uh, we're in the process of having it designed and going through all the kind of the steps before finding out how much it's going to cost. So that's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun part, or yeah. not. <clears throat> exactly. But yeah, it's you know it you know I definitely take time away from chasing Epic, but 
I find that running my own business, I'm, I've always got it in the back of my mind. Um, I think that's, mm, I hear you. that's one of the biggest things. And I've told multiple friends that kind of are, are thinking about doing their own thing. It's, it's the biggest thing, I think, between working for a company and running your own company is, you know, I spend a lot more time thinking about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. But it's things that I really am, you know, I care about and I'm passionate about and I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. versus being back in the corporate world, you know, there were a lot of things I just didn't want to do and didn't care about and, you know, hate to say it, but probably didn't really matter. So it's now, well, so it's, it works. yeah. And now it's like, I can make decisions for my own company and if, you know, if it matters, I'll do it. And if it doesn't matter, then I won't do it. So it's, yeah, you know, I, sure. I think on average, I spend way more time, you know, doing work and thinking about it, but I like doing it, you know, sure. There's the the financial side and the accounting, which I don't really care for, but you know, I don't mind sitting at my computer and editing pictures at 11 o'clock at night, you know, and I don't mind if someone gives me a call at eight 30 in the morning to ask about a trip, you know, it's things like that are, are fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And you spend a lot more time just thinking like you spend a lot more time, you know, before you go to sleep or right when you wake up, just kind of having some quiet time and thinking about, things, thinking about the business, thinking about little nuances, just how can you do something better? What if it were different? Oh, what if I tried this that you don't do with a, with a nine to five, because, because you don't have, it just doesn't exist. The passion isn't there. Even if you love your job, it's, you didn't make it. It's not yours. You know, there's, there's definitely a difference that comes with that. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, I think I've had some of my best ideas on mountain bike rides or on hikes with my wife and our dogs. You know, it's that those times when you just kind of let your mind wander and you don't, you're not thinking about what you're doing. And, you know, it's especially on those long 2000 foot climbs. It's like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on my intense breathing. I'd rather, (laughs) I'd rather just think about nothing or, you know, come up with a new idea or, you know, oh crap, I forgot to, you know, email so-and-so about, you know, next week. It's Um, the one time it's good to not be present outside the body. Yep. So do your, yeah. do your dogs ever ride with you? What kind of dogs do you mention your dogs a few times? What do you have? Um, I've got two young labs. So we've got a year and a half old and a two and a half old, um, two and a half year olds. Um, I would love to take them, but I, they're both adopted. Um, that we were, my wife and I work with a, a lab rescue in Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. and so they're both adopted from, you know, being strays or being, um, given up. And I don't really trust them around wildlife. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I think they would both do well as trail dogs, but if we ever saw an elk or a deer, I might not ever see them again. You know, I, I thought similar about my dog. I also have a lab that we rescued and, um, she can't be trusted. You know, if, yeah. if we're in our yard or if we're even, uh, you know, going for a hike, she can't be trusted because, you know, squirrel, she's gone. It yep. doesn't matter if she sees a dog or a body of water, she's going to be in it. And I I started riding with her this year, and it's been uh, not that I'm advocating it. You got to make your own choices. But I started riding with her, and it's been awesome for her, yeah. for me. She she took to it with zero training. I I I think it triggers the pack running. Yeah. Um, you know that that they're just so ingrained to to want to do because I'll we'll even I'll take her to some some national forest type place near our house where we often walk her to bring her off leash and let her swim and like run around and meet other dogs and the during that in that very same place she'll she'll beat it she's gone for an hour you know or or worst case scenario somebody will call his cell phone and be like hey i found your dog oh, yeah and yeah gone so i take her there riding and not one time has she left my side We'll come across other dogs, swimming holes, everything. And I'll stop and let her swim. And she'll stop and like meet the dog and play for a second. But as soon as I say, let's go, she's right on the back wheel. She's gone. Uh, I never even had to teach her that. She just, if I'm moving, she wants to run. So it's awesome. And it's really unlocked her. Like, um, she's just more chill. I don't know how to describe it. She's just more... She's just happier. You can see it in her face that she gets to go run with the pack as opposed to just like a mountain biker you know, sitting at sitting at home. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's encouraging to know. I've never really thought about that. I mean, we've. I think part of the reason why I haven't haven't tried it in the past is just living outside of Boulder. The trails are much more congested. Um, but you know, for instance, this morning I went for a twenty five mile ride and I didn't see a single mountain biker. So you know mm-hmm. where we are now, it's you know that's not an issue. It's more just wildlife and having wide open spaces. 
Yeah, definitely. And the wildlife is it's a it's, there's a good and a bad with the dog, right? Because they make the noise, they crash through the brush, and they make the yeah. big scary stuff like bears go away. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, you don't want your dog chasing a bear down and, and exactly. making that bear making that bear pissed off. Yes. So uh, we're we're like hitting an hour here. I've, I'm having fun. It's been a fun talk. Do you, is there anything else that you want to get into? Is there any, anything else you want people to know about chasing epic or? Um, just anything you want to talk about? I don't know. Um, we could always talk for the next hour about e-bikes. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about e-bikes. In fact, is that a thing on your radar for the trips? No, it's not. Um, it's, you know, it, it's obviously come up quite a bit. Um, I get a lot of, not a lot. I get a handful of people that'll email or call and ask if we do e-bike trips. Um, you know, Man, unfortunately, I Two sides of the fence with that one, huh? Yeah, and I think I'm on both sides too. I, th- you know, I think for our trip specifically, it's just not possible because a large majority of the the trails we ride are non motorized. So, mm-hmm. you know, we could do an e bike trip, but you'd have to do the same two trails for four days in a row. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's definitely different places where it's a little more friendly, but typically, most of the e bikes as of now are allowed on, you know for the most part for service roads and the occasional moto trail, um, which mm-hmm. is really not what we try to ride. Um, no. you know, from a personal perspective, I, I definitely see both sides. I think, you know, I'm all for it as long as the trails have wide open sight lines and, you know, they're, they're not heavily congested and there's not potential for user conflict because I think that's really, that's really the meat of the argument is, you know, mountain bikers have fought so hard and for so long to get, you know, trail access to some of these amazing places we get to ride in. And if still fighting, you know, absolutely. You know, and if it comes down to, you know, a heavily trafficked trail where there's e-bikes and, you know, you have potential for more user conflict with equestrians and hikers, then, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think, you know, as long as land managers are smart about it, I think that, you know, it's okay. Um, in certain instances, I don't, I just don't think it's okay. Um, but I think there, it doesn't have to be black or white. I agree with you. I think it's, it's, it's certainly got a lot of potential to be problematic where it comes to advocacy and trails totally. and, and just letting us ride. Uh, personally, I don't want one yet just cause I like the, the pureness of pedaling and it, it's on you yep. if you're going to get up that hill or make it through the ride. And I personally like that. But at the same time, I get the allure, and I totally think e-bikes are going to blow up. I mean, it, it's going to happen. The, of course, yep. pedal-assisted bikes where you can you can still get exercise, but you you know you don't have to get quite as much if you don't want to, and you'll be able to go faster and climb bigger hills. And of, of course, that's going to happen. It's just yep. a matter of whether it takes us <clears throat> backwards in our in advocacy and, and takes you know if it hurts the sport overall. Because we, I mean, here there's battles all the time to just just have trail rights and we make like there's an organization here called nemba the new england mountain biking association and i'm a member and it's a great organization and they do a ton of work to not only um advocate for the rights of bikers to be on the trails but they do a lot of work you know free labor on the trails building bridges clearing the trails all that sort of stuff and it, it it sucks when you see people that Never mind e-bikes, but even just you know leave trash in a parking lot or just don't treat the place right and continue to get a bad name and you know yeah. as soon as you have hikers or horseback riders complaining, it's just another it's another it's another chip that we don't need. Yep, I agree. Yeah, and I mean I mean I'm right there with you. I'm more of a purist when it comes to mountain biking. I don't you know there are certainly some climbs in the last few months where I wish I had an e-bike, but at the same time <laughs> it's it's just way more satisfying knowing that I got up it you know, by my own to, you know, with my own leg power and my own, you know, lungs. And, you know, it's hopefully for the next 30 years or 40 years, I don't have to worry about that, but I, I totally get it. Um, and I think as long as it's gone about the right and the smart way, it's, it's definitely something that can be handled. Um, you know, I think it's, it, it kind of, it should come down to the land manager and kind of the, you know, the specific instance of that trail network or that specific trail. It's, it's, it's definitely not something that you can kind of paint with one wide brush and say, okay, e-bikes are now allowed on all, you know, all dirt surface trails or anything like that. Right. But at the same time, if all in a, in a perfect world, you'd want it to, because what about the 75 year old that doesn't want to give up biking, but can't make the climbs anymore? 
you know, you, you want them to be able to still take part and enjoy the sport. So ideally, if they could have the e-bike that would help them do that, that would be great. But you ha- we have to solve for the, the social problems. It's not even necessarily the tech, I think. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, I don't know if it'll ever be kind of one size fits all, just given the way that trails are are regulated and governed, you know, just being out here in the West, it's it's interesting to see how, you know, the BLM will handle something versus how the Forest Service handles something, you know, and even just like the city and county properties, they kind of do their own thing. And, you know, I know outside of uh, kind of in the Denver metro area, I know there was a trial with Boulder County and with Jefferson County, which is where Golden is, um, just to see how e-bikes were received and, you know, kind of where they fit in. Um, so there's definitely people testing the waters, but it's... Uh, what were the what were the results? Um so don't quote me, even though this is going to be on record, I guess, as part of a podcast. No, you can make it up. I don't care. I'm just, no, I'm just, I think, I'm just What did you hear? What so, did you well, hear? So I think in Boulder County, they decided to ban all e-bikes from um, all mountain bike trails or, you know, they're not in the same uh, classification as of now. So mountain bike, mm-hmm. obviously mountain bikers are allowed on X number of trails. E-bikers for now are typically only allowed on bike paths, dirt roads, and kind of wide kind of crushed gravel type trails where there, you know, there's not that potential for, for conflict. Um, to my knowledge, I think Jefferson County, which is, you know, again, where Golden is, I think they're still going through the trial. Um, so I'm not sure what they're going to come up with, but, you know, I, I've definitely heard through some of the, you know, some of the channels like MTBR and some of the other websites where, you know, I don't think people are necessarily appreciating e-bikes on quote their trails. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that argument that you kind of see online everywhere. So, yeah. And that, that's, that's part of the people hate change too. Yep. Change is going to happen. You can't, I agree with you. You can't, you can't be on one camp. Like you can't just be screw bikes and I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing it because it's coming. Uh, it's, it's, it's just like, there's a huge, I talk about this too much on the podcast too, but there's a big, um, divide in in the mountain biking industry, snowboarding industry as well, in selling direct or selling through local shops. Sure, and I don't think either one is the right answer because you can't stop progress. There's people that want to order online, yeah. and there's people that aren't near a store, and there's people that are near a store that can't carry all the brands. So, so of course the the selling direct model has to happen. But you want to also work with the local shops when they do provide a lot, like here in America. Local bike shops are a huge part of the scene, and you want to support that and make that strong. I think it's just a matter of everyone has to talk and what is it, where does the model go? Sure, what, you know yep. what does the what is the modern bike shop? Where does it fit and what does it do? Because you know, ten years ago, um, there was quite a few fewer mountain bikes that you could buy yeah. that were good yeah. than there are today. It's it's blown up. You know, there's a, there's. It, it, there's a lot of really, really good mountain bikes out there, but if, I don't. I've never seen a shop that can carry them all. Sure, right? yeah. And I mean, so something something has to change. Yeah, I mean, we work with Ibis, which is obviously sold in local shops, and we work with Spot, which is now Consumer Direct. So it's you know exactly that. It's there's a place for both of them. I mean, I'm all for people you know trying to sell entirely online. I think there's you know there's obviously hurdles and there's things that they need to do very differently to be successful. Um, but I mean, you know, as long as the shops continue to to adapt and change and, you know, offer different services and kind of change their models with these bike manufacturers, I don't see why both of them can't exist. You know, it's... Me too. Like with anything, I think you always hear the, the, the oddball complainers the loudest anyway, because you always hear the argument that, well, you know, if I buy a bike direct, my bike shop told me they won't work on it or they won't do anything. And I've never actually come across that in real life. I just come across people that love bikes and want to talk about yeah. it. Sure, they'll they'll do a tune up on your bike. They'll fix your bike. They, I've never seen anybody that says, oh, we didn't sell that. You can't. No way. Yeah, you can't bring I, that in for service. And I think, I mean, you see it a lot. You see different situations in different areas. You know, so if you're coming from a big city, you know, New York City or Charlotte or something like that, where you've got, you know, 15 different bike shops and they're all competing for business and they all carry different bikes, you know, you're going to get a variation in the way that they handle service and the way that they sell mm-hmm. and the way they support the community. You know, I think it's entirely different when, you know, for instance, you come to some of the small towns in, in Colorado, you know, you, the local bike shop here is, you know, the, the two main guys are always at the, the local association meetings. They're always building trails. They're always holding events. They're, you know, always fixing kids' bikes. It's, 
you know, it's an entirely different concept and a way of integrating into the community. And, you know, things like that. I mean, people get involved like that. You want to support them and you want to go hang out and you want to go ride with them. So it's definitely, yeah, I mean, it, there's, like I said, there's, it's not one, one size fits all. It's not black or white. It's, you know, there's very, there's just so many different ways, you know, even just in Boulder, there, it was interesting to see how different shops, you know, kind of handled their business and, and sold bikes. I mean, you know, there's, as long as there's a market for it and as long as they're doing well, then, you know, keep on doing it. It's just, for sure. There's obviously a lot more competition coming. Yeah, and maybe they'll help decide whether or not they sell e-bikes and make those easily accessible. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> it just, it just, I know. It just seems that the e-bikes thing just seems to me still. I'm, I'm older school. It seems like cheating. It seems like just get a dirt bike if you want a motor. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you, and definitely in kind of fundamental. But uh, you know, I see the other side. You know, specifically for older folks or people who are you know sick or. You know, maybe even someone getting into the sport that can't ride more than a few miles, you know, if they can hop on an e-bike and ride 10, then, you know, that's great. But yeah, I mean, I'm there. I'm, I'm mostly against them in, in most applications, but I think there is, you know, there is a, a fine line where where we can let them in. Right. Like I'm old school until something awesome happens. Like what if, you know, that's where, that's how innovation is born. And if it unlocks a whole new area of the sport, you'll find me on one. Awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a no forever. I'm just not interested right now. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. So, you know, in the long run, or I guess ultimately chasing Epic will not be doing e-bike trips well, anytime now- soon at least. Now that we've decided the future of mountain biking and we're over an hour, it's a good yeah. place to, it's a good place to call it. Um, I, I, this was fun. I mean, I'd, I'd be open to do it again. This is a good time. I hope I can get out and do one of your trips in the coming year. Uh, be fun to meet in person, have one of those beers and, and ride. Yeah, absolutely. A thousand miles. Yeah. It's, uh, they're a lot of fun. They definitely welcome anytime. time. <laughs>